Tonight I'm going to talk to you about a couple of my favorite people in the Bible. Now, my favorite person in the Bible is Jesus, obviously. But my next two favorite guys, I really have three favorite guys in the Bible, but I'm going to talk about two of my favorite guys tonight. My third one is Daniel, and my other two are Joseph and David. Um, Joseph is probably at the top of the list along with Daniel and then David. And the reason I like Joseph and Daniel is because there's no bad press about them. David's got a little bad press. He made some bad decisions, but he was still a man after God's own heart. But if you look, um, if you read the word Joseph and Daniel, there's no recorded um, snafus for either of those two guys, really. And they both went through some pretty unfair circumstances. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about unlikely heroes. First one we're going to talk about is David. David was the youngest in a whole family, and he had older brothers, and he had an older sister. And if you look at David, he was overlooked. That was his, that was his like, that was the, the thing that set him apart is he was overlooked. I was the youngest of nine kids. I know what it's like to be overlooked. When you look in the family history, they've got like 3,000 pictures of my older brother and about 2,000 of the next one, and they got two of me, okay? Because by the time I came around, they go, yeah, another kid, whatever, and See, that's just what it's like being the youngest. Everybody says it's all good, good and great to be the youngest, and all the youngest in the room said, I feel your pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else was the youngest. Um, but David was overlooked. Everybody said, oh, yeah, that's just David. Oh, I just put him out there. Yeah, give him, those, give him to the sheep. Just send him out there. Just go away, David. Just go watch those sheep. Go play your harp. Go watch those sheep. And it didn't help that his older brothers were tall, dark, and handsome, and he was short, white, and redhead, right? And it was just the way it said he had a ruddy appearance, and he was, and he was little, and, and the rest of them were tall, and they all looked, you know, big and handsome. They all looked like, you know, Gronkowski from the Patriots, you know, this giant six-foot-eight people. And he was this little guy. And he was skinny, and, you know, he played the harp, you know. He didn't play football, he played the harp, okay? So it's all good, but it's just the way it is. He was in obscurity in a small, insignificant setting watching sheep. Hmm. So here he is. Saul, the king, who is tall, dark, and handsome, by the way, a full head taller than everybody else in the entire country, that's Saul. He was Mr. Tall. He was like Gronkowski from the Patriots. He was just huge. Now, if you don't know who Gronk is, look it up, okay? They, they won the Super Bowl. Give me a break, okay? So Saul disobeys God, and he gets and he, he's in trouble with God. So God says to Samuel, go to Jesse's house and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. So Samuel goes there, and it's a big, long deal. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
And he gets there, and here comes Eliab. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And Samuel goes, ha, looks just like Saul. Must be the next king. God says, nope, not that one. So he gets to the next one, another tall, dark, and handsome. Nope, not that one. And all of his sons go past. There's like seven of them. They all go past. God keeps saying, nope. So he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, well, I got one, but, you know, he's kind of small, and he's, you know, he's out watching sheep. You know, I told you to gather your sons. How come you didn't bring them? I figured, you know, it's just David, you know. And even his own father disrespects him by not even calling him to the big deal when the prophet's coming, right? So he said, well, go get him. So they go and get David. And as soon as Samuel sees David, God says, this is the one. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he anoints David to be the next king of Israel. So David goes from being shepherd, overlooked, disrespected, forgotten about. Next thing you know, he's going to be the king of Israel. But he's only 17, so he's not going to be a king yet. Right? So sooner or later, he knows he's got the call, but it's not going to be right away. Saul, the king, starts having nightmares. It says he's troubled by an evil spirit. And so he calls and he, and he says, hey, I need somebody to play the harp. Somebody says, hey, I think that, that kid at Jesse's house, he was a pretty good harp player. So Saul calls for, G, for David, and David starts playing the harp. And when David plays the harp, you know what happens? The king gets relief, and he gets relief from this evil spirit. And the king says, hey, you ain't going back to your house. You're going to stay in the palace. So, hey, David, he thinks this is a pretty good deal. He's got an annoyed king, and now the king has just asked him to come live with him. So he's thinking, hey, this is pretty cool. I got anointed. Now I'm in the palace. Next thing you know, hey, you know, he'll probably say, here's my crown, right? I mean, that's, that's what a 17-year-old thinks. It's just, hey, that's what happens, right? He's just going to hand over his crown. Well, then he sends him back to his house, and then this other problem comes up, and it's the, old, the story of Goliath. Remember, everybody remember Goliath? Anybody remember Goliath? Goliath was this somewhere between nine and 13 foot tall dude. I mean, this was a big dude. He, his, the, the head of his spear weighed six pounds. Okay, his coat of armor weighed 130 pounds. Okay, it was really, really big dude. And he's out there, he's a warrior, and he's saying, send me a man that I can fight. And all of the big, tall, strong guys are all afraid and nobody will fight. So David comes out there because his dad, still disrespecting him, says, go bring some meat and cheese to your brothers. They're at the war. They're at the battle. He didn't say go help them fight. He said, go bring them some lunch. So his dad's still disrespecting him and not really respecting him as a man. He's still treating him like a boy, right? So he gets there, and this Goliath is blaspheming God. He's saying all this bad stuff. And David said, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? Is there not a cause, he says? And Eliab, his big, tall, dark, and handsome brother, says, 
What do you think you're doing? Who'd you leave those few sheep with? You irresponsible, proud, insolent little twerp. He didn't say it just like that, but something like that. And David's, David just ignored him, and he went to the next thing. He says, what's going to be done for the person who kills this, this, this one who's blaspheming God? And they said, well, he's not going to pay any taxes. He's going to marry the king's daughter, and uh, hey, that's a pretty good deal. No taxes, and you get to marry the king's daughter, which means you're in, in the king's household. So he's like, cool. So he decides, he goes to the king, says, I'll fight that guy. Saul says, aren't you my heart player? Right? He gets disrespected again. Aren't you my harp player? Aren't you the dude that plays the harp for me? What do you, he's going to kill you. No, you can't do that. So he finally convinces Saul to let him do it. And he gets out there and he says, you come at me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he starts saying things to that giant. And he says, I'm going to take off your head. I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air. And he runs at that giant with a little stone and a sling, and he hits that giant, and the sling went round and around and around and around, right? And that one little stone went up in the air, and the giant came tumbling down, right? Y'all sing a song when you're in kids? And after he hit Goliath in the forehead, he walks over, grabs Goliath's sword out of Goliath's sheath, because he didn't even have a sword. All he had was a slingshot. Walks over there and this is gross, I'm sorry, but it's in the Bible. He cuts off Goliath's head and sticks it in a bag and brings it to the king. Whew. Now that's some serious rated R stuff right there. That's pretty, that's pretty violent, isn't it? But that's what, that's what the Bible says happened. He killed that giant. Now, he wasn't trained. He wasn't qualified Everybody didn't think, nobody thought he could do it. But here's the key. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? By saying that, he was saying, who is this person who is out of covenant with God? Because he's uncircumcised. See, I'm in covenant with God. This dude is out of covenant with God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Then he says, that the Lord, that the world may know that, God, that we don't conquer by the sword or the spear, but we conquer in the name of the Lord, he says. He says that, we, that the world may know, that all may know that the Lord doesn't conquer by strength or sword or spear, but he conquers in the name of the Lord. See, it's not about how strong we are. It's not about if other people respect us. It's not about if other people think we can. David knew that in and of himself there was no way he could possibly kill that giant. He knew it. And his strength and his confidence was not in his ability with the sling, even though he was good with the sling. I believe it was the first guided missile. He went like this, and the Lord guided it, and it says it sank into his forehead. It, it's a, the, the stone sank into Goliath's forehead. See, it wasn't about his training. It wasn't about anything else. It was about his recognizing he could not do it on his own. He needed God's power. That the world may know, you come at me with a spear and a sword, but I come 
at you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. That was his power. It was because he came in the name of the Lord God of Israel. So whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, okay, so you're not qualified. Next question. Okay, so you're disrespected. So what? So was David. What the important thing is, are you going in the name of the Lord? Are you going in his name? Because if we think we can do it without God, be careful. He might just let us. I'll say that again. If you think you can do it without God, be careful. He may just let you do it without him. Just to prove to you that you can't do it without him. The times I have failed in my life, it's almost always because I think I got this, God. And then you fall on your face. Because we need God in every area of our life at every moment of our life. See, so after he kills Goliath, it says David behaved very wisely. He was very wise. He, he did the right thing. He was, he was awesome in the way he, he behaved himself. He was small in his own eyes. Remember that particular phrase, small in his own eyes. He had, a, he had an accurate picture of himself that he wasn't really a big deal. It was God in him and upon him that was the big deal. As we go through David's life, we can see that over the next 13 years, 13 years, Saul tried to kill him numerous times, throwing spears at him, chasing him through the wilderness, sending armies with orders to kill David. Saul hunted him like a dog for 13 years. Saul hunted David. All David ever did was good to Saul, but Saul returned evil to him. But even after Saul was chasing him, unrighteously accusing him, and inappropriately trying to kill him, it says David behaved wiser than all the rest of Saul's servants. It says he behaved wisely. There's four different times that it says in Scripture, just in those couple, couple chapters, that, he, that David behaved very wisely or more wise than all the rest of Saul's servants. He refused to make, he refused to make God's, his God-given position, he refused to make that come to pass. For instance, one time David was hiding in a cave with, all, with men. He was hiding in the back of the cave and Saul came in there and Saul laid down and went to sleep in the cave where David and his men were, were hiding in the back of the cave. Saul and his men came in there and Saul fell asleep. So David walked up to him and Joab, David's right-hand man, he said to him, hey, he says, the Lord has delivered Saul into your hand. Kill him. You've been anointed to be king. You need to be king. Kill this guy and you'll be king. You know what that's called? A shortcut. You know what's the longest distance between two points? A shortcut. Okay? So, Joab says, kill him. David said, no, I'm not going to kill him. Here's the one thing. Joab then says, hey, okay, you won't kill him. Let me kill him. I'll take the heat. 
How's that for a temptation? I don't get blood on my hands. I still get to be king, right? How's that for a temptation? This guy is trying to kill you. It would be self-defense. I mean, there's all kinds of ways I could reason this out and make it sound like it's okay, but it's not okay. David cuts the corner off Saul's robe and he, and he, and he waits till he leaves and then he finds him and he gets on the, on the one mountain over here and then there's a valley and then Saul's over here and David says, hey, why are you chasing me? I could have killed you. Here's the corner of your robe. Why are you trying to kill me? And then David, because his heart was right, it says he was smitten because he had cut off Saul's garment, cut Saul's garment, because the Lord says, touch not mine anointed. So later on, he has another, another example where Saul is sleeping and he takes Saul's sword or takes his spear and he says, hey, I could have killed you again. Why are you chasing me? There's two different times where David could have killed Saul and he didn't. God delivered, or he was delivered right in front of him like on a silver platter, if you want to say it. And yet David decided he was not going to make God's plan come to pass in his life. See, sometimes we say, well, God wants me to be happy, so I'm just going to do this. Well, I got news for you. God's not as concerned about, his, about your happiness as he is your holiness. He wants you to be obedient you, if, you're, if you're obedient, you will eventually be happy. If you just seek happiness, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable long term. So David refused to make God's plan come to pass in his life. He refused to make it happen. David wouldn't do it. The problem is, later in life, after Saul had been killed, after David became king, after all the accolades and David had been successful and he defeated all the enemies and he was the man and he was the king and he had united the kingdom and David was getting up in age and he started to believe his own press. And you know what I mean when I say believe his own press? He started to believe all the compliments that the people around him were giving him. He started to believe it when everybody said, man, you're so awesome. Man, you, you deserve this. People stay, say stuff like that. And he started to believe his own press. And you know, David, even though he had been such a man of honor and he'd been such a man of integrity that he wouldn't make it happen, later in life, he took matters into his own hands. And when kings go to war, it says he stayed home and he went up on his roof and he looked next door and he saw a pretty girl taking a bath and he called for her and he committed adultery with her. She got pregnant and then she, he, he had her husband killed. Man, it's just a bad spot on David's life. It's awful. But see, he believed his own press and he sinned. It says that dead flies ruin the perfumer's ointment and it causes it to give off a, full, a foul order odor, and so does a little folly to a man known for wisdom. See, every time you say the name King David in the world, almost always people will say either Goliath or they'll say Bathsheba. Because you'll always be remembered for the problems you create and the problems that you solve. 
He solved the problem with Goliath and he created a problem with Bathsheba. And that's how he's remembered to this day. That's how King David is remembered, by those two defining moments. One was a great moment with Goliath. One was an awful moment with Bathsheba where he lost his integrity, he lost his reputation, his son died. And really from that moment on, he paid an awful price in his family. See, wise decisions are seeds and they produced a great harvest in his life. But then selfish, foolish decisions, he sowed bad seeds and it, it really produced awful things in his life later. Absalom betrayed him and murdered his brother, staged a coup against David. Amnon assaulted his sister, and there was violence in David's house for many, many generations. There was violence in his house, and there was perversion in his house also because he had sowed those sinful seeds. See, our life is filled with opportunities for seeds, seeds that are righteous, wise decision seeds, and they're seeds of sinful seeds. And David sowed bad seeds in the Bathsheba situation. He sowed good seeds in his life that led to the Goliath situation. See, a definition for sin is attempting to meet a legitimate need in a way that God has forbidden. That's one definition of sin. When you, when you have a legitimate need and you're, you're going to meet that need, but God has forbidden that method of meeting that need, and, but you still do it, that's called sin. For instance, let me give you some instances. You need money, so you steal it. That's forbidden. It says you shall not steal, right? But, but I need money, I know, but meeting that need for money by stealing is sin, you need significance, so you exaggerate and make things up. Oh, that's called lying, friend, and uh, that's not cool either. I know you need significance, but get your significance from what God says about you, not stuff you make up, okay? You need affection, so sex outside of marriage is the answer, right? No, that's wrong too. Why? Because it produces pain. It produces all kinds of negative situations. See, God wants us to live in a way that's going to produce good harvest, not bad harvest. David, when he was small in his own eyes, he relied upon God. He behaved wisely, and great things happened in his life because he behaved wisely. And later on, when he, when he became too big for his britches, if you might say, um, when that happened, everything went bad, and everything went south, as they say. And it's really awful, but that's how David's remembered. He's remembered as the guy who killed Goliath and the guy who had an affair with Bathsheba. And that's, it's too bad that those two things defined his life, but one had to do with wise decisions and one had to do with bad decisions based upon selfishness and folly. And your reputation is so fragile. All of our reputations are so fragile that we're remembered by the problems we solve and the problems we create. Another guy, we're gonna go quickly now, I only got a few minutes, Joseph. Joseph is like the man. Joseph, again, he was one of the younger ones in the family. He had 12, total of 12 brothers. And Joseph was kinda overlooked. He was his father's favorite. Now, I would say to all the parents, don't have a favorite, because it only produces trouble. Jacob had a favorite. It was Joseph. 
And Joseph knew he was the favorite. That was the problem. Well, God gave Joseph a, a dream. And in Joseph's, dreams, Joseph's dream, all of his brothers were bowing down to him. And even his father was bowing down. And then Joseph did something really dumb, okay, because that's what 17-year-olds do. They do dumb things because they're young. But God gave him a great dream, and then he goes and shares it with everybody, right? That's not, that, would, that was one thing that he probably should have been quiet about and not shared all of his, his dream that God had for him. So his brothers hate him because, number one, he's daddy's favorite. Number two, he thinks we're all going to bow down to him, and they're going like, heck, we are. We ain't going to bow down to him. We'll show him, right? So God gave him this dream when he was only 17, and Joseph was despised by his brothers. He was misunderstood, and eventually, as we know the story, he was, he was attacked and thrown into a pit, and then he was sold to, to uh, um, Midian, like a caravan of Midian travelers. He was betrayed. He was sold into slavery. Now, after they put a chain around his neck and made him walk all the way to Egypt, then he was put on a block and sold like an animal at a livestock auction. How degrading. He went from being the favorite son to being sold like a cow. He was betrayed, sold into slavery. And one of the, one of the best verses, that one of my favorite verses about Joseph is this, Genesis 39.2. It says, after he, was, after he was sold to Potiphar, it says, verse 2 now, Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph, <laughs> he was a successful man. Think about that. He just got sold buck naked on a, on a platform. And they said, there's a successful man. I'm like, no, that's not my definition of a successful man. He's a slave. He just got sold like a, a livestock. And, and yet it says, he was a successful man. Why was he successful? Because the Lord was with him. Everywhere Joseph went, the Lord was with him. If you, if you go down through the whole thing, it says the Lord was with him and, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the Lord, his master saw that the Lord was with him and all he did prospered. And he found favor in his sight, and he served him. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for the sake of Joseph. And then, then the Potiphar's wife gets um, fresh with him and asks him to sin, and he says, no, I won't sin against God in verse, verse, I can't read, verse nine. So then she lies about him and says he tried to attack her, and Potiphar has no choice. He throws him in jail, and then He's in jail. So first of all, he's the favorite son. He gets betrayed by his brothers, sold like a cow. He gets favor again. He gets betrayed by this other person, lied about and betrayed. And now he's in prison. And he still has yet to do anything wrong. So he's been sold, betrayed, lied about, and thrown in prison. And he has yet to do anything wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but this is frustrating. You ever watch a movie, and you're just kind of like, come on, this isn't fair. That's what I, when I see Joseph, I, I just get mad because I'm like, come on. 
How much, how much this guy got to take? He's been nothing but good, and he gets nothing but bad in return. This is not cool, right? And then there again, verse 21, Genesis 39, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor with the prison guard. So now, next thing you know, Joseph's in charge of the prison. Everywhere this cat shows up, he ends up running the place, right? You know why? Because he kept a happy heart and he kept his focus on the Lord. And he didn't feel sorry for himself. In verse 23, Genesis 39, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever Joseph did prospered. Now, you know what this says to me is, no matter what people do to you, no matter what people do to me, they can lie about you, they can throw you in a pit, they can sell you like a pig on a livestock auction. They can lie about you again and throw you in prison. But you know what? If God is with you, you're going to prosper. Because God is bigger than any circumstance that you're going through right now. God is bigger than all of it. I look at this and I go, if God was with him, it says everything he did prospered. And he's in jail, lied about, sold as a slave, a criminal, and never did anything wrong, but yet that's his lot. Wow. Unjustly imprisoned. And so then he's still running everything, and then the butler and the baker show up. He interprets their dream, makes time for them. Says, oh, oh why? He's, he's in jail, and he still has time to go, oh, you look troubled. What's the trouble? Do you want to talk about it? Right? He's like a counselor in prison. And the butler and the baker, and so he, get, he interprets their dreams. He, it's all said and done. The butler forgets about him. Another, another slap across the face. Now the butler forgets about him. It's been a period of time. We don't know how long it was. He's still in jail. Finally, the butler goes, oh, you know what? There was a dude in prison. He interpreted my dream. I bet he could help you, Mr. Pharaoh. So in 24 hours, Joseph goes from the bottom of the prison, a criminal, in jail, incarcerated, and in 24 hours, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. The next thing you know, he's got a signet ring, and he is the second most powerful man on the planet. Hello? He's like, the next thing you know, he's Mike Pence, okay? He's the vice president the next day. Okay, go down to Kent County Jail. You got a guy, he's like stuck in drunk tank. Okay, tomorrow he'll be the VP. That's what happened, okay? It he went from the prison to the, to the White House in one 24-hour period. And then over the next few years, with the wisdom that he had, he literally saved the then-known world from starvation through the plan that God gave him. See, it doesn't matter what happens in our life. There's all kinds of bad things that happen. There's all kinds of negative things that happen to everybody. The stuff happens. It just, it just happens. If God is with us, and if we will stay 
with God. It doesn't matter what happens. We can still, we can be successful while we're in prison. We can be blessed while we're a prisoner. We can have favor and everything we put our hand to prosper no matter what situation we find ourselves in. That's what Joseph tells us. He's an unlikely hero. David was an unlikely hero. See, the fact that you're still struggling in your situation is proof that you haven't yet been conquered. Now, some of you will get that tomorrow. Tomorrow noon, you'll go, oh, I get that, okay? The proof that you're still struggling, the fact that you're still struggling is proof that you haven't yet been conquered. You're still fighting. You're still fighting. That means you've not yet been conquered. You have not been conquered. I have a, a, a word that I want to just read here. It's, a, it's kind of an, it's a, I guess I would call it an exhortation. So if you all would just kind of close your eyes, and I'm just going to read this to you. And I want you just to receive this as a word from God to your situation. Okay? <clears throat> The enemy would not be working overtime if you were not about to gain victory. Don't get discouraged by the burden. Keep doing the right thing. The blessing is coming. A promise is coming. Your health is coming. Victory is on the way. God can trust you with the blessing. You know that God can trust you with the blessing. Make sure he can trust you with the burden. This wide door of opportunity has been opened before you and there are many adversaries. With every door, there will be plenty of opposition. Instead of being discouraged, you can be encouraged knowing that it's a sign that new doors are opening. Breakthroughs are headed your way. Our attitude needs to be, I will not be discouraged because it's taking longer than I thought. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to live frustrated because I'm disappointed and lonely. I've had some tough times. I know, I know now that I'm armed with strength for this battle. I know the forces that are for me are greater than the forces against me. I know the forces that are for me are greater than the forces that are against me. God can trust you if you keep the right perspective. You are highly favored. Your time is coming. The burden you're having to endure is going to pale in comparison to the blessing God is about to release in your life. I believe and declare the promise is going to take you farther than you ever imagined. God is going to propel you where you could not go on your own. Like David, you are going to outlast the opposition. Take the throne and become everything God created you to be in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We thank you that we will be successful no matter where we are. If Joseph could be successful in prison, we can be successful when we're misunderstood. It doesn't matter if people have overlooked us. God, you have not overlooked us. Father, you cause everything to work out in our favor because all things work together for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. Father, we thank you that today is the day that we mark the line in the sand and we say, favor rests upon me today.
Today is the line, we draw the line and we say, we're not going back, we're going forward, we're moving ahead. We're not going to look back, we're going to move forward in you, God. So Father, we thank you that as we draw strength from the, from the stories of the Old Testament, from David and, and, and Joseph, we thank you, Father, that today we have the strength, we have what it takes, we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us, that there's nothing we can't do because you are for us. And if you're for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If tonight you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I, I want you to, right after we're dismissed, I want you to come down here and talk to me because you know, tonight is the night for you to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life once and for all. Maybe you've played around with it. Maybe you've confessed Christ when you were two, but you haven't lived right for since then. It's time to get serious with God tonight, people. And if, if that's you, as soon as we're dismissed, I want you to come down here and I wanna pray with you. And I want you to, to give your life to Jesus tonight because it's time. It's time to get serious with God because God is serious about making a way for you tonight. He's serious about it. He gave this word specifically for, for those of you that are receiving it tonight. It's for you. God has a plan. You can do it. Don't give up. This is good news, people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.